are in the second week of our current message series, taking a look at who we are. About 20 years ago here at Nativity, we struck out on a different path because we believed what we were doing wasn't working. The typical game plan for parachutes just wasn't working for us. And so we set out to de develop a deliberately different culture and way of doing church. As a result, not immediately and certainly not easily, but eventually and with effort, we saw God's blessing in terms of health and growth. So in the course of this series, we're going to take a look at some essential elements of our culture, what we value as a parish. We're going to look at some important values that we think are vital for growing as disciples and for growing a healthy church family. These are elements we either put a little more emphasis on than perhaps other Catholic parishes do, or things we think have been lost in Catholic culture that need to be restored, or things we've discovered that work well elsewhere. We decided to do this series at this time because we're meeting so many new families and individuals joining us here on Ridgely Road and online who started attending Nativity online during COVID. We think this series will be a helpful introduction for them. At the same time, we hope this will be a welcome refresher for parishioners who have been around for a while, bringing perhaps some new insights on why we do what we do, the why behind the what. So last week, we looked at the value of Scripture. We read, reflect, and apply Scripture to our daily lives because it's fundamental to spend time in God's Word if we are going to grow as Christ followers. Today, we're going to look at another one of our core values, and to help us out, we're looking at an episode we find in the 18th chapter of Luke's Gospel. Jesus addressed this parable to those who were convinced of their own self-righteousness and despised everyone else. So Luke introduces this parable as expressly intended for everyone convinced of their own self-righteousness. In other words, this is going to be a story about pride and humility. Jesus is going to set his audience up with one scenario and then reverse it, as we'll eventually see. So the story goes like this. Two people went up to the temple area to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Luke writes about a contrast. Jesus loved to point to contrast in his storytelling. So throughout Luke's gospel, we find such contrasts. The younger son and the older one, the rich man and the poor man, the wicked judge and the aggrieved widow. And here, a Pharisee and a tax collector. A starker contrast was hardly imaginable. Pharisees, of course, were the religious leaders and the ultimate rule keepers and rule enforcers in the Jewish community at that time. Tax collectors, tax collectors weren't just bad Jews. They were outcasts from the communities, enemies of the state, collaborators with the hated Roman occupiers, and typically dishonest too. So initially, it looks like the Pharisee is going to be the good guy in the story and the tax collector the villain. 
In fact, the Pharisees perpetuated a kind of insider baseball. They formed a privileged class of Jew who set standards for religious observance that were difficult and complicated, to say the least. And they got lost in the rules, in the endless interpretation of the laws, the minutia of all the rules and laws. And in doing so, they missed out on the point of it all, which was simply living in right relationship with God. Meanwhile, cynically, corruptly, they often absented themselves from the very laws and rules they tried to impose on everyone else because their power and presence was so pervasive in the culture at the time. As a result, many people just gave up and didn't even try to practice their faith. They just walked away. And for that very reason, Jesus opposed them and called them out often. The Pharisees represent what can happen in any parish or church or synagogue or any religious setting, really, and that includes here at Nativity. If we're not careful, we can make it complicated for people to connect with God. We can get so focused on religious rule-keeping or just our way of doing things that we forget about our purpose and mission. We forget about why we're doing what we're doing. And when we lose our why, we lose our way. Many of the Pharisees had lost their way. And this is played out in how this particular Pharisee is represented in this parable. Thus, the reversal that we mentioned earlier. Take a look. The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes on my whole income. The Pharisee prays to himself. That's the key word in this verse. He prays to himself. In other words, he's not praying at all. That can actually happen in our attempts at prayer. Instead of lifting our minds and hearts to God, we turn inward. We become self-absorbed. We end up talking to ourselves instead of praying. This guy doesn't really connect to God in his prayer. He doesn't show any love for the Lord at all. He's self-congratulatory. Fasting and tithing are good things for sure. We should aspire to do them. But like all good things, they're a response to God's goodness. Any good deed we do, any sacrifice we make, any love we show comes because God has first loved us. The Pharisee is self-congratulatory which is bad enough, but even worse, he condemns everybody else. And that's two sides of the same coin. And the coin is called self-righteousness. You know, when Luke introduces this story by telling us this is a story for everyone convinced of their own self-righteousness, he's really telling us this is a story for everyone, period. We can all fall into the same self-righteousness of the Pharisee because it's subtle, it's insidious, and our human nature tends toward it. We can find ourselves there and not even know it. The story continues. But the tax collector stood off at a distance, and he wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, 
but beat his breast and prayed, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector doesn't remind God of all the good things he's done, and he doesn't justify himself either. Nor does he try and excuse his immoral activity and unjust actions. Instead, instead he simply humbles himself before God. He acknowledges his need for God's mercy. And notice, his prayer doesn't go on and on and on, not at all. He doesn't pray a long or especially eloquent prayer. He prays the simplest prayer of all, have mercy on me. And look what happens. Jesus says, I tell you, the latter went home justified, not the former, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector goes home justified. In other words, he goes home in right relationship with God, not the Pharisee. What's the difference? Well, you could say simplicity. All the tax collector did was pray a simple prayer, the simplest prayer of all, the prayer we always pray when we gather here for Mass, have mercy. And that prayer is the prayer that gets a hearing. The Pharisee has done so much more, giving, serving, tithing, but he goes home not in right relationship with God because he exalted himself before God. Which brings us to the point of the parable that underscores another of our core values here at Nativity. Connecting with God and spiritual growth, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be simple. So one of our core values is simplicity. Now, a quick look around this place, and that might not seem the case. Well, with the lights, the cameras, the screens, the army of volunteer ministers and staff, the cafe, the, the fog machine, none of it suggests simplicity, right? But when we refer to simple, we don't mean simplistic. We mean uncomplicated when it comes to our mission and vision. You know, often churches unintentionally communicate that if you want a right relationship with God, if you want a church family, you have to jump higher and duck lower and go through all kinds of necessary hoops. Some church communities are like holy huddles. That's what I've heard them called, holy huddles. They're for church people, church people who know the insider rules and the clubhouse customs and the church speak and the secret handshakes. It's all great for church people. They love it, but it's inaccessible and, frankly, incomprehensible to the unchurched. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be complicated. Prayer, church, faith, religion, God can be as simple as the tax collector's prayer, have mercy. And our job as a church community, as a church family, is to make access to a loving relationship with the living Lord, the easiest, the most attractive, the simplest thing of all, the simplest thing ever. And having said that, admittedly, we don't always get it right because we're in the world too, and the world tends to complexify. Organizations complexify things. Churches complexify things. Baltimore County complexifies things. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus, on the other hand, kept things simple. 
when they asked him what they thought was a complicated question about Jewish law. He cut through the complication and answered, love God, that's the law. When they tried to trick him with a tricky question about paying taxes to the emperor, he simply said, give to God what belongs to God and to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. When asked the potentially complex question about how many times we should forgive one another, he dismisses the complexity. We should always forgive one another. Jesus consistently cut through the complicated to keep it simple. And so that's a value we aspire to as well. For instance, we have a simple mission. Love God, love others, and make disciples. A simple vision. Growing disciples among disconnected Catholics in North Baltimore and influencing churches to do the same elsewhere. A simple strategy. Be a church that people who don't like church, like. And a simple focus, our weekend experience, music, message, ministers, create an irresistible environment of energy and excellence in which newcomers feel welcome. We talk about just five simple purposes that sum up everything we do, worship, fellowship, discipleship, evangelization, and service. And we lay out five simple steps to grow our faith that simply follow from those purposes. Serve in ministry or missions, tithe and give, engage in a small group, practice prayer and sacraments, share your faith. And here's a simple promise from me to you. All our asks and invitations, all our encouragements and challenges to you will always, always come back to one of these five steps. Jesus kept things simple because he wanted everyone to know that a relationship with God is possible. And so, if there's anything, anything at all around here that we've made complex for you, let us know. Tell us how we can improve or where we need to. We want, we want to be humble enough to take your feedback. We want to hear from you. We really do. And of course, when I say we, I mean Tom. <laughs> Email him. <laughs> At the same time, let me challenge you. Where have you complexified your faith for yourself? Failing to forgive another's fault and holding on to a grudge. Getting caught up in some theological or philosophical or political question that gets in the way of a relationship with God. Becoming distracted by a, a moral or ethical failure. Admit it before God, just like the tax collector. Better yet, take it to confession and just get rid of it. Get it out of your life. It's just, it's just as simple as that. Following Jesus is decidedly not easy, but it is entirely simple. Thanks for watching. Be sure you hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples by sharing this video. We're grateful that you're part of this community.